the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 531 for Monday, December 15th, 2014. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Up. I think I said the right episode number when we started this, John, right? 531? Did I get that right? I think so. Sure, yeah. All right. Well, well, you know what? I recorded it. We'll go back and check. This is Mac Geek Up, the show where you send in questions, you send in tips, you send in cool stuff found. We answer your questions. We do all kinds of fun stuff here with the goal of you and us. It's a mutual thing, learning new things every time we get together. Uh, there are folks that help keep us going. Many of those folks are you with your premium subscriptions, which you can learn about at MacGeekGab.com. Uh, and many of those folks are sponsors like Linda at LYNDA.com slash MGG gets you 10 days free of their training videos. DigiDNA, iMazing.com is their latest uh, incarnation of what used to be called Disc Aid. Coupon code MGG gets you 20% off there. And uh, Drobo... At drobostore.com, special new unique coupon code called Holiday Geek gets you 90% off the Gen 3 Drobo 5D. Sorry, not 90%. <laughs> That's my head cold talking. Wow. $90 off. It's still a good deal. Trust me on this. $90 off the Gen 3, the uh, Drobo 5D, and Drobo 5N. The Holiday Geek coupon code is only good through 122914. You can go to drobo.com/macgeekgab to learn more about that. We'll talk more about it again during the show here in Durham, New Hampshire. With a little bit of a head cold. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, where it's, it's just cold. Uh, John Brown. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, you know what? I want to talk about Linda, John, because uh, we're here and it's what we do. Uh, actually, it, it, you know, what we do and what they do are actually not all that different. I said we're here to learn new stuff. All of us learn new stuff. And, uh, and the folks at Linda focus on pretty much the exact same thing. If you go to lynda.com slash MGG, as I said, you get 10 days free of their training videos. And their training videos are super awesome. I mean, these things, they, these are not your YouTube homemade videos, folks. These are produced by pros. They've been doing this for well over a decade. They know what they're doing. They've got uh, over 2,400 courses online today. They expire course. They've, they've recorded and, and released way more than 2,400 courses, but there are 2,400 currently up there today that are relevant. They, they you know, if, if an old version of Photoshop kind of goes out of style, they, they update it, and, uh, and so they're constantly refreshing these courses, constantly. Um, some of these courses uh, are very short. Some are very long. But the nice part is, no matter how long the actual course is, uh, you can break it up into bite-sized pieces. So whether you have 15 minutes to spend learning you know, one little new uh, thing, or if you have 15 hours or eight hours or even two hours, you can, you can chop these up, and, and they're already chopped up. You can just consume them. As you uh, as you desire, they they've done a really nice job. And as I said, you go to lynda.com slash MGG, you get 10 days free of their training. That's three more days than you would have gotten if you did this over the summer. So uh, so that's 10 days free. Uh, and then plans start at just 25 bucks a month. 
Yeah, and premium members, if you buy an annual plan on their premium plan, you can uh, download courses to your iPhone or iPad and actually watch stuff offline. But uh, even with the 10 days free, you can stream everything. There are no limits to the courses that are available to you once you are a Lynda member. And as I said, lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash MGG gets you 10 days for free. No obligation. Courses like I mean, I, I mentioned Photoshop. They certainly have courses about that. You want to learn how to use QuickBooks. They've got that. You want to learn how to program jQuery. I mean, you want to talk about something that's really specialized. You can take a course about JavaScript, which you should. And then on top of that, you can take a course about jQuery itself, which is awesome. You want to learn Swift? You want to learn C Sharp? You want to learn Objective-C? This is the place to go. Lynda.com slash MGG. Lightroom, Photoshop, all kinds of great stuff. I love their courses. They're so well done. They do an excellent job with everything they do. And uh, John, it sounds like you're getting my head cold. So maybe you're going to have a couple of days in bed and you can, you too can learn stuff. Just camp out lynda.com slash MGG and, uh, and absorb. So thanks to Linda for, uh, for being a sponsor of the show. We, we certainly appreciate it. And John, <laughs> you want to talk about how bad my, my how how foggy I am here. Um, I, uh, I, you know, I, I do the, the show notes. I, I print our, I don't print our agenda anymore. I used to print it on a piece of paper and I would have a pen and cross off things and mark down like times and things like that, uh, that would give me references afterwards when we finish. But I, I've, uh, I now use and have for probably the last two years, a program called note taker HD, which was written by Dan Bricklin, who was one of the uh, guys who wrote VisiCalc back way back in the day. Yeah, and, I was going to say that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rick Calc. I know, I know, right? Um, so he's a rock star. And uh, and I after I interviewed him at WWC a couple of years ago, I started using NoteTaker HD, which is great because I don't need to print out paper. Uh, and I just uh, either use a stylus on my iPad or really I just use my finger. It's enough. I don't have to take notes that are that small. I can kind of be messy with it. Uh, as we were finishing that, uh, that spot, for Linda up, I went and grabbed a pen and nearly drew in pen on my iPad screen um, to scratch out that, yep, we're all good with that one. We can move on. So this is uh, this is going to be an interesting show. It's been an interesting week for me, John. I have a little tale of woe to share that, that uh, with a, with a, with a parable that might help everyone. Oh yeah. I got, I got tales of triumph and tales of woe. Yeah. Well, I, um, I was on a Skype call. Uh, let's say Tuesday, it doesn't matter. And, uh, say it just hung up and I was like, Oh, whatever, you know, Skype hangs up all the time. No big deal. And then I realized I couldn't check email and I couldn't do anything. And I started thinking about the guy outside grinding up stumps in our yard. <laughs> and I started thinking about the cable that runs between the house and the office that goes right where he's grinding up stumps. And despite the fact that I had warned his, uh, his, the, the, his advance team about this, clearly this was not on his radar. So I have four little flags saying call before you dig. You know, I showed him the broken cable and he's like, Oh, I guess I should have called dig safe on this one. Do you think <laughs> maybe that would have been a good idea? It doesn't cost anything protects both of us. So, um, thankfully, and this is the amazing part I have. Um, I didn't do the burying, but I knew where it was buried. Um, we have two coax and two cat five or cat cat six direct burial cables running between the house and the office direct burial is special cable. Um, it's got uh, the technical term I believe is goop inside it to help give it a real moisture barrier. 
and uh, and it works great. This cable's 15 years old, still pushes, uh, you know, gigabit Ethernet, no problem. So uh, somehow with his his uh, crazy uh, stump grinder machine, he only destroyed or cut through two of the four cables, one each of Cat5 and Ethernet. So that meant that I could go into the house in the office and make some switches around, and then instead of uh, uh, having no internet in the office we had no phone in the house which really isn't that big of a deal we get phone uh, simply because it's part of our deal with comcast and um and and we don't really use the house phone a whole lot we all have cell phones it's fine but it's cheaper actually to get the phone based on the package that we currently have so but i still wanted to get this stuff fixed and the tree guy was being a real jerk about it um and so I posted on Facebook and this is where it gets, this is where it gets interesting. And I certainly knew I could fix it. I had two problems. Number one, it's really cold outside and working with all those tiny little wires in the cold sucks. Um, and number two, I wasn't sure where I was going to get any direct burial ethernet cable because it comes in spools of a thousand feet and I have none. Um, I know where some is, but unfortunately it's in the middle of an Island on a lake that requires a helicopter or a hovercraft this time of year because boats won't run. Um, so, you know, I started asking around my electrician said, yeah, you know, the only problem is it's cold and I don't know where to get that cable. I'm like, great. That's, you know, that's why I called you. But, um, so I, I posted on Facebook and, and one of our, our listeners works for a, a telephone company somewhere else in the country. And he said, you know, call your local phone company, play the dumb homeowner, call your local phone company and, and see, uh, you know, tell them you have, you know, wires dug up, uh, that were cut. They'll probably come out and fix it. So I thought, well, I don't have a phone company, but I have Comcast. And so I, um, I didn't play quite the dumb homeowner. Uh, I told him exactly what happened and exactly what this was. And, and the woman on the phone said, yeah, that's our, that, you know, that's, that's in our realm. We can come fix that. And, uh, and the guy came out and as soon as the guy got here, he realized, okay, this really isn't within our realm. And I said, yeah, I know. And he said, but you know, I'm here. Uh, I've got to charge you for the visit, which I don't think they actually did, um, but, uh, but I said, that's fine. You know, I'll make the tree guys pay. And, uh, and so we set about to fixing it. He knew exactly how to fix the coax. No problem. He knew how to fix the cat six, but he didn't know anything about cat six for ethernet specifically. So, um, but the problem was we needed a length of wire. He had a length of direct burial coax. He did not have a length of, uh, ethernet cable. So we sacrificed the, you know, a foot and a half off the end of one of the cables. And then I, I terminated that cable back to an RJ 45 Jack and uh, he went outside and, and uh, he had the gel packs and stuff when you're burying stuff, uh, you know, you've got to keep moisture out. And so there that goop that's inside the cable can also be put around the cable. So, so what he did was both with the coax and with the, the cat five, he, he made the repair and, uh, and then we tested it. And then it, once it all tested fine, then he sealed up. Uh, he had these little, these little clamps. They're, they're like little, uh, jackets that go over where the, the seal or where the, the repair was. And the, these jackets are filled with this goop and you, you kind of have to cramp them down and clip them. And then, and then you're done and, and, and then no moisture will get in and it's good to go. And now I've, I've reburied it, but, um, and I tipped him uh, because he went out of his way uh, for us, of course. And it was fun working together with him. But the, the, the takeaway here is I've, and I have found this true with every cable company I've had time Warner down in Texas. Um, uh, who did I, who did I have in Connecticut? It wasn't Cox. It was uh, charter I had in Connecticut and then I've got Comcast here now. And I found this true with every one of them. When they come out to do a repair, 
they go out of their way to make sure that repair is over-engineered uh, if possible so that they don't have any risk of coming back. And, uh, and I knew that as soon as, as soon as our you know, listeners said, call your local phone company, it was like, Oh, Comcast, they're the ones. Cause they've got these jackets on the truck. They, you know, they, they, they have all the stuff other than the direct bureau cat five, which obviously we were able to make work. I had to remember how to re-terminate an ethernet uh, jacket using the, the right pinouts and all that, but that was fine. You know, you can look that stuff up online and I just compared it to what I had done to make sure I got it all the same. And it was good. But, um, yeah, don't forget about your local cable company because they can do a lot of repairs. And when they do repairs, they really do over-engineer them. Um, and their goal is so that they don't have to come back. Um, so they, they, they mm. can be your friends. And I, like I said, I've found this 100% true 100% of the time with every cable company I've had. And I'm sure there are mine exceptions kinda, to that rule, of course. Mine kind of let me down, man. Did they? Well, I tried to record a show the other day. Um... On a, a TNT, which I'm supposed to get that channel. And, uh, you know, I went to watch it and the, the uh, TIVA said, well, uh, no, I couldn't record it because there was no signal on the channel. And I'm like, well, that's not right. That's a channel I should get. So I tried to tune it in and sure enough, it didn't show up. I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. You know, it was 737. So I'm like, oh, well, let me see if I get the uh, SD version of the channel. And I did. And I'm like, okay, now that's not right. Uh, as it turns out, I do need a tuning adapter. <laughs> this is a gizmo that you need to uh, enable something called switch digital. I think oh, yep. the cable networks. And at one point it was malfunctioning and they told me, well, you, I don't think you need it anymore. We, we, we changed something. And they said, tune to this channel, tune to this channel. Tune. And I'm like, and they're like, yeah, I don't think you need it anymore, but I kept it. I didn't return it. And as it turns out, I do need it. I plugged it back in and I, and I got that channel again. So, nice. uh, yeah. So you didn't have a tech out. I, I, yeah, I should be, I should clarify this. Some of the support reps I've dealt with on, on the phone and actually most of the support reps I've dealt with online with, with Comcast chat have been fantastic, but there are some that, that are bad. Um, but it, it, I'm specifically in terms of the texts that they send to the house. All those people are fantastic for me. I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I get the best out of them. But you're back to, you, now you can record 737 again, John? Yeah, there was a show I wanted to record, and someone said, yeah, it's on, uh, it's on this channel. Yeah. Uh, and then, and yeah, the TiVo's smart enough to say, well, there's no signal, and sure enough, there wasn't. So, uh, right. yeah, but, but it's free. You know, it's a free device from them. Until I, yeah, uh, your, your cable companies will typically give you two of these Switch digital devices for free for every given, you know, household, and then beyond that, you can rent them from them. Um, for, well, this is a, a well, actually, I got to rent the cable cards. Mm -hmm. It's like four bucks a month, which is like, oh, come on, man. Yep. Yep. But this device is just plugs into the TiVo and then you got to run the cable through it. I did. I did uh, crimp a, a cable that that was fun. I, I have a, you know, a cable crimper and yep. uh, I had tips. Yeah. I had some extra cable lying around so that that was fun to make one of those. Yeah. The hardest part is cutting the jacket, right? And not, and not slicing your hand open on that aluminum sheath that's in there. That's, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. It, there are gloves that they sell for, uh, for that purpose. And if you do it often enough, it's worth getting those gloves. Um, because that, that stuff can be, t I mean, it's, you want to talk about what, what's worse than a paper cut that. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta be careful. Yeah. 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 All right. Brent found uh, an interesting thing. We've been going back and forth about uh, a font issue he was having in dialogue boxes uh, where his 
text would come up as all gobbledygook, just weird, like uh, characters that, that, in, that were indicative of a damaged font. And, uh, and we went round and round and, and finally uh, we didn't have anything to offer him. And he said, well, I guess I'll do a, you know, a clean install. Well, thankfully Brent pers- remained persistent and found in font book, there is an option called restore standard fonts. He did it and it worked. What it does is it replaces all of the fonts. It moves all of your fonts out of the way and replaces uh, or puts back the fonts that only came with the system. And, uh, and he said that solved it. Now he's left with a folder uh, called something fonts. Oh, what's it called? Oh yeah. Fonts removed. Thank you, John. And, uh, and now he's got to go through the process of putting those back in probably one at a time uh, just to make sure uh, which one was the one that was causing the problem. It's possible that it was just one of your system fonts that got damaged and nothing will cause you an issue. And, uh, and so that was it. That was, that was his deal. And no, uh, you know, Brian, remember I'll say hello to everybody in the chat room at MacGeekab.com slash stream. We mentioned last week a way to replace your font with San Francisco. Uh, the the font that is the same as, or similar to the one that's on the watch. And, and no Brent actually, this did not cause Brent's problem. I had actually suggested that during the, the kind of back and forth resolution attempts that we'd had, perhaps that that would not solve his problem, but, but, you know, bypass it. And it didn't work. Um, he liked the San Francisco font, but that these particular dialogue boxes did not uh, change. So now this, this was not caused by nor fixed by installing the San Francisco font. But font book is an interesting app. Um, it can do a lot of things and it will find when you have duplicate fonts, uh, you can have it validate fonts. You can have it validate you know, files. It's, it's, it's a pretty, pretty interesting program. Uh, open up font book on your Mac. It's on every Mac, at least late, late enough Macs and uh, highlight a font and then go to the file menu. And you'll see, you've got validate fonts, remove fonts, uh, restore standard fonts, which is what Brent used. So it's good stuff. I like it. Fun. You, you like you, 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 I, I seem to remember you knowing to go to font book, John, in the past to, to solve some issues. Um, yeah, it'll, the issue that I've seen people have, um, that sometimes, uh, uh, confuses the OS is they'll have multiple versions of the same font installed and sometimes it gets kind of confused. And I believe Fontbook will, uh, will detect that among other things. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So if your fonts get wonky, uh, Fontbook, uh, Hey, it's free. Uh, and is a very rudimentary, uh, I don't, I don't know if I'd call it a font manager, but it's a nice font it, utility. It, yeah, yeah, you're right. Rudimentary font manager. I buy that. I like that. Yeah. All right. Moving on to, uh, to Jed. Jed has his little tip to share. Uh, he says, I've got a stumper that I solved. I was helping a coworker out. Uh, she upgraded her MacBook pro to Yosemite. I don't know if this issue was before or after, but now double clicking on a file on the desktop doesn't open it. Command O does. I looked in the trackpad prefs file and there was no longer a double click speed option. And, and it was smart for Jed to look for a double click speed option because if, if you have your double click speed set too fast, uh, you may not be clicking fast enough for your Mac to 
accept that as a double click. And then therefore it doesn't see it as a double click and you won't get that action. Uh, he said, so I booted in guest mode and it fixed it until I brought up her user, which unfixed it. Even in guest mode, I did a safe boot, a hardware test, Onyx, Yasu, and Google double click problems all to no avail. I was about to give up when I realized I needed to Google where double click speed moved to in Yosemite. Who knew that it is now in the accessibility preference pane? And of course, it was set to the fastest setting. I changed it and all is better. So, yeah, this is a system wide setting that is altered by each user account uh, or alterable by each user account, which is why the guest account when it came in was fine. But then when her account came up, it set it back to whatever her preference file said and and then uh, back down to nothing. So, yeah, system uh, system preferences, accessibility. Good stuff, Jed. Nice find. Yeah, I've I found a nice thing uh, that I thought I mentioned this uh, that this actually helped me in the past when I was having an issue with my uh, iPhone. But accessibility on the iPhone uh, gives you this feature called uh, oh, what is it here? Assistive touch is very handy, especially if your home button <laughs> is failing, which uh, was happening on my iPhone four. Uh, right, it basically gives you a home button on your screen. And, uh, well, if your home button's freaking out and, um, or I, I just had to press it very hard and I was getting tired of it. So, uh, temporarily I was using assistive touch to, uh, give me uh, a virtual home button versus a physical one. I, um, on the, I, I agree. Yeah. The home button is, you know, of course it's a moving part, right? So it is the thing that could wear out, uh, faster than anything else on my, you can't do this on the iPhone. And I'd kind of hoped on the iPhone six and six plus they would add this, but, um, but on the iPads, all of them, including the iPad mini, you can completely mitigate needing to use the home button by going into settings general and enabling multitasking gestures. Um, if you use four or five fingers, then to pinch in, it brings you to the home screen, which, is the same thing as using the home button. Um, you swipe up and it brings up multitasking and, uh, and then there's uh, you can swipe left and right with, again, with four fingers or five fingers and it switches you between apps. So you can totally move around your iPad without ever touching the home button once you wake it up. And I find this really helpful. In fact, I use it all the time. It's, it's, I don't even think about it now. It's just how I, how I use it. So my home button remains pretty pristine. And, uh, and it's just an easier way to move around. Like I said, on the six plus, I, 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 I would love to do it, but at least thus far, I have not found a way to turn that on. We had a question from the chat room, John, uh -oh. prior to the, uh, prior to the show starting. And it's an interesting thing. I forget who asked it, uh, but somebody asked, how do I download YouTube videos? And it's interesting. Um, this is something uh, we're going to tell you how to do it. Um, but it is for many videos, not all, but I think most, if, if not many, uh, against YouTube's terms of service to do this. And because YouTube is owned by Google, it's against Google's terms of service to do this. And that's the reason that you cannot find a whole lot of articles on the web explaining how to do this because those of us, uh, that publish stuff on the web want people to be able to find our sites in Google. And if we were to publish things about uh, that go against Google's terms of service, Google certainly retains the right to stop indexing and displaying results for our sites. 
So uh, you've got to go to MacXDVD.com. DigiArty is the company. MacX YouTube Downloader is the program, and it does exactly what you think. It's free, and it's actually quite awesome. You put in a YouTube URL, and it uh, analyzes the video, and it shows you all the versions that are there, you know, from the, the 480p up to the 720p uh, or the 1080p even. And you just pick which one you want, and uh, and then it downloads it. That's that simple. Uh, you do have to keep it up to date because I think there's kind of a cat and mouse game that goes on. You have to decide how you feel about this and what these videos are that you're downloading, and if you actually have the rights to do so, uh, you probably don't. But uh, but that doesn't mean that the tool itself should uh, should not be part of your arsenal. So there you go, MacX YouTube Downloader. We'll put that link in mm. uh, in the show notes. Yeah, I use something. It looks like it hasn't been updated in a while, but it still works for me. Uh, Flash Video Downloader 2. You paste a, a URL into it, and I guess it does something similar. It tries to parse the HTML and figure out the uh, URL of the video and then downloads an FLV file for you. Nice. Or I use uh, Firefox. Firefox has numerous uh, extensions. Do that, or extensions do that stuff for you as well. Yeah. Silliness. If you want other, uh, I'm going to jump to our our second sponsor here, John, which, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, is the folks at DigiDNA and iMazing.com. These folks solve a problem that is otherwise unsolvable on the Mac. They have, this is an iPhone manager. iMazing is an iPhone manager. It used to be called DiscAid. Um, it, it is the new version of Discade and boy, is it a new version, uh, again, available at imazing.com. Uh, they've added all kinds of things to this. It, it, it's, it's a program to put things on and take things off of your iPhone and see all the data that's on your iPhone without having to go through the, the grand filter that is iTunes. Uh, right. iTunes doesn't really let you see everything. It, it kind of has a very narrow path that you can walk. And sometimes that's fine, but sometimes you need more access than that. Sometimes you need to just pull a video off quickly. Sometimes you need to um, get it a, an applications data so that you can save a preference uh, file or something like that. Sometimes you need to look into your backups and, pull data out of your backup and put it back on your phone for a specific app, not just barfing the entire backup right back on the phone, which is all iTunes would let you do. And iMazing lets you get at all of this data and manipulate all of this data. It really, it, it's amazing. And I, I like that they changed it to iMazing because it, it fits. I, you know, the first time I used this program, I was like, holy cow, how did you, this is, this is amazing. How did they do this? And, uh, and they work really hard to do this. Uh, you know, if you want to manually manage your music library, I think that's where Discade really started for them was, was really, um, you know, the, the iTunes music management on the phone. Well, you've heard my tale of woe, uh, with, with turning on iTunes match while I was traveling. That wasn't good. You know, if I had just, if only Woody had gone to the police, if I had just used iMazing, uh, I never would have had any of those problems, um. So it made for a good story, but you don't need to be able to, you already know my story. You can tell that story without actually having to live it. You can just use iMazing and you're in way better shape. So go to iMazing.com and the the coupon code is MGG and that gets you 20% off. If you were a previous Discade user, um, you can go to iMazing.com slash Discade and you might be able to upgrade either for free or just for eight bucks. So um, 
So check this out. These guys are doing really well with this. The new version is so much better um, than anything else that I've, I've used. It's, it's just great. So you got to check it out. Imazing.com backup browser. You can, there's now, you know, uh, you can add music and playlists to an iOS device, any iOS device from your Mac. This is also windows software, right? So if you've got a windows machine at, at the house or the office, it were AI. I'm hey, look, they don't care. They're they're about managing your hey. iOS device. It doesn't, you know. No, absolutely. Hats off to them. And, right. Uh, it, it's a great way to learn what's underneath the covers or what is hidden from you, because much is hidden on iOS, and this uh, uh, is also a good learning tool to figure out well, what's happening, what's going on, and to help you solve problems, as we've pointed out. I'm glad you mentioned that, John. That is my favorite part about this. Yes, it, it, the, the functionality of it and when it solves a problem for me or, or you know, I had to pull a video off uh, my iPhone because I recorded it the other day and I needed to upload it and, and I didn't want to have to go through the whole sync. So I did. I just used iMazing to go and find that one video and drag it to my desktop and I was done. I didn't have to jerk around with anything that Apple wanted to do syncing and backing up and all the other baggage that comes with, you know, letting iTunes see my device. And it worked great for that. It was, it was efficient, awesome. But what you said, just poking around in there when I don't have a specific need is actually my favorite part of the, the software because it really does let you dig in and, uh, and see stuff. So you got to go check it out. Imazing.com. Uh, I think it started here. We, we've certainly mentioned it many times. I, I'm, I'm nearly certain it was mentioned as a cool stuff found first, but it may have been mentioned as the solution to a problem first. I don't know. I know we've mentioned it many times, John. So, uh, good stuff. Thank you so much for supporting us. Imazing.com coupon code MGG gets you 10% off. All right, John, you want to take us to, uh, somebody, anybody? Uh, want to take us to Andrew? How about, how about, how about Andrew? Yeah. yeah. So uh, speaking of things that are hidden, I hadn't really looked at this for a while. This is great stuff. So Andrew says, hi, David, John, is it possible to boot into recovery mode from the finder? I think the short answer is I haven't figured out how yet, but <laughs> this may help. <laughs> he said, uh, it occurred to me that currently you need to restart the machine with your fingers pressing down on command R. It would be helpful if I could choose it out of startup disk preference pane, just like target dispo. Yeah, it would be. So I'm like, huh? You know, I seem to recall now, at least in my windows days, um, there are ways, uh, Windows is similar to OS X, except it's not as good, right? <laughs> right. But Windows has uh, startup key combinations as well, but they have a utility that will let you enable them. Uh, enable them uh, so you don't have to hold down keys, because sometimes, uh, you know, either you, 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 you know, you may not get the timing right, or your keyboard's broken, or you may have a wireless keyboard, which uh, causes all sorts of griefs a lot of times uh, for, for any computer user, because a lot of times the computer won't see what's coming from a wireless keyboard at the right time, and so it'll just blow past whatever keys you hold down here. So um, my answer is, you know, I've, I've pondered this, and I've looked into this, and so I did, I did a little surf in here, and I found this really, uh, really nice article from our, our uh, over over on CNET there from our pal uh, Topher Kessler. I've come across his articles more than once. Wealth of knowledge that guy. Um, and there's a way, Dave. There is a way to do not what he's asking, but a lot of other things. And I'm still working on how to get into recovery. But there is a way. Uh, that was kind of geeky 
for you to uh, set uh, what we'll call boot arguments, which is effectively uh, holding down uh, key combinations in a lot of cases. What you want to do, don't be afraid, is you want to go to the terminal. And then here's what you want to type. You want to type sudo, which of course makes you... Uh, godlike, or it, it enables you to run this command, and you have to type in your uh, your your password, of course, your administrator password. sudo space nvram. Isn't that kind of weird? Non-volatile ram space args equals quote, and then and then thing, and then another quote. Uh oh. I couldn't find a way for it to enable the recovery we'll, we'll, uh, but it, we'll put a link to this in the show notes. It, there, there's many reasons where why we don't like explaining terminal commands on the show, and, and one of them is when Skype hiccups, and, uh, and you may not get all the nuances. So, so we, we'll put a link yeah. to this in the show, but just explain, yeah, explain what it did for him, John. So what you can do, what you can put into boot args, it, it, that value that I just mentioned is you can put a number of things there. You could put dash S, which lets you boot in single user mode. You can do a dash V, which lets you boot in verbose mode. Or a dash X that lets you boot into safe mode. But no cool. recovery Thanks. mode. No, and you know, and I tried this and it didn't really work out. So I was like, huh. But, but there's a final option. Um, RD. What that is, and then you say RD equals and then disk ID, and that is a partition on your hard drive that you'd like to boot from. Hmm. So you could probably figure my thought process here. Hey, well, if I can just figure out the name of the, the recovery partition or the, or the code name for it, which is typically uh, in disutility, you can do this. If you, if you highlight a, a partition and then you do get info on it, um, It'll be something of the general format, disk zero S1 or something like that. So it's a disk and then I guess S is for a slice on the disk. So I thought, huh, well, why don't we put the recovery partition there and see how that works out? Well, at least on my machine, it didn't really work out. I got into kind of a, a, a death spiral <laughs> and then it kept. Now, now, now you may ask yourself, John, how did you get the, uh, the disk and slice of the recovery partition? Because normally this utility doesn't show you this. I'm going to tell you how, because uh, so this is a number of tips here, even though I didn't solve the problem. It's a number of good tips. So, um, you can use our pal secrets because secrets reveals much that is hidden. And what you want to do is go to disutility and, uh, and there is an option where you can tell disutility, Hey, you know what? Show me the hidden partitions. And there's a little checkbox in secret saying show hidden partitions. So that's what I did. And then once I started up disutility again, it showed me recovery. And so I highlighted it, got info on it, got the code for that, and then put it in this, uh, boot, uh, you know, a, a disk ID argument for this. And then I booted and I thought, oh boy, am I clever? I'm going to boot into recovery. Well, as it turns out, I didn't. And I still am trying to figure out why. So then it got into this loop where it started, uh, you know, throwing all sorts of text up here and then rebooting, throwing up text. And I'm like, oh boy, now I broke everything. Well, how do you recover from <laughs> foobarring your machine like this? Well, you note that I told you that uh, one of the arguments here is NVRAM because it's putting it in NVRAM, also known as PRAM. Right. So, how do you fix this? Well, you hold down command option 
PR when you boot your machine, and that clears out PRAM. It will clear out any arguments here. So if you screw something up by putting a wacky argument in this and your machine is no longer usable, reboot and hold down command option PR, and that resets the PRAM and clears out whatever you put in there. So I'm still working on this because I want to be able to boot into recovery without having to hold down the keys because actually, and you have, I think kind of a, a follow-up tip to this, Dave, because oddly enough, although I love this verbatim keyboard that I have on my mini here and it has a backlight and all of that stuff here for whatever reason. And this is a problem, not only with the, uh, this is a problem with several, not only I think wireless keyboards, but some non Apple keyboards is the machine doesn't recognize the key combo. For example, I can't for whatever reason, I, I can't boot into recovery Normally, I've been able to boot into recovery, oddly enough, um, if I start up my machine and I'm running, uh, I didn't know this either. When I started up my mini here and uh, I have file vault enabled and it says, yeah, hi, can you input the password? And by the way, if you're having problems with your machine, um, shut it down and start it up again and uh, I'll go into recovery for you. Oh. I, hadn't ha I hadn't seen that before. I'm like, wow, that's handy. It almost read my mind saying, oh, you're trying to get into recovery? Well, well go ahead, shut down and start up again. That, that's a feature I, I don't think I've ever run into before or seen before. Well, I recently enabled File Vault. So maybe that's, that's part of a File Vault. Is Interesting. A, huh. Yeah, so a whole bunch of things here. Now you had a, but you had a follow-up tip here as far as uh, not being able to boot. Um, yeah, I did because I use a, a Logitech keyboard on my Mac and, uh, and I've, are you, uh, did, did, what was that sound? You were drinking out of a Mac Geekab water bottle right then, weren't you? Yes, I was. I heard the air flowing. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. So I, I have a Logitech keyboard that I use and I have always had problems when I need to go into recovery mode or safe mode or anything. And I forget this every time and then have to remember it when my Logitech keyboard, it, it's, it's built to be used on either Mac or windows, even though it has Apple logos on it, you know, like for the, the it's, it's old. So it's got the command button, Apple, you know, logos and all that stuff. But when I start up, uh, I have a little plug, a uh, little extension or, or, you know, driver for the keyboard that maps all those keys the way I would expect them to be mapped on a Mac. But when my computer first starts up, that driver hasn't loaded, but it still sees the keyboard. It just doesn't have the command key mapped to the command key. It's mapped, as I found out, to the option key. So if I need to boot in safe mode or recovery mode or verbose mode, I have to hold down option S, R, or V. And then they work fine. No problem. Because the computer just sees it as the command key. And it, like I said, the driver remaps it so that it's in its normal spot once the thing is, uh, is fully started up. And that's why I forget about it because in 99.9% .9 of my interaction with it, those, those buttons or those keys on the keyboard act exactly as they say they're going to act. So yeah, just bear that in mind that, you know, you might uh, at boot time be dealing with a keyboard that's not quite mapped the way, especially if it's a third party keyboard, quite mapped the way you want. So good stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. I tried a couple of, I'll, I'll Tried different keys on this here, but uh, yeah, but I accomplished my goal. So you know, no, no real reason. If I needed to boot in any of the other modes, I just uh, you know use the trick. Uh, right, we just talked about right. Yeah, it's good stuff. So um, Michael has an interesting issue, also related to boot uh, booting his Mac. He says a uh, MacBook Air 13 inch from 2011, and uh, says he's using about 100 gigs of his 128 gig SSD. He stores another 20 gigs of music videos. And uh, all sorts of things, uh, a bit inconvenient, keeping them 
uh, on a hard drive. Oh, yeah. Anyway, he says uh, the air has on three occasions had some sort of total boot failure, which I was immediately able to recover from because I had a clone. Thank goodness I use carbon copy cloner. So I have been planning to replace the air with a new one that has a 512 gig drive. I use my air primarily to learn music. Uh, and he talks about how he uses space and all of that. He says, my question is, when I get this new machine, should I migrate to it or should I start anew? And if I migrate, do I take the risk that whatever cruft I bring over will also include whatever it is that's leading to that boot failure? And does it matter that I'm jumping from Mavericks to Yosemite? Uh, or should I start anew and take a little bit more time to download and install all the old info, including all my data? So um, I would I would love to see console logs relating to the boot failure, but we would need to see those at boot failure. Right. And and verbose mode is perfect for this because you probably if it's it, depending on how far it's booting. Right. We would know more if uh, if we could see these these console logs. And if you can't even get that far, then that's also uh, an interesting issue. Um, but given that the clone works, so, you know, depending on how often you make clones, the question is, you know, you've got a clone that works. Let's say you made the clone yesterday, right? You're making clones every day. Um, you know that the clone works, but the drive inside the computer won't boot it. So why? What has happened? Well, it's either that you've made some settings change that's stored on your drive uh, internally that has yet to be cloned and therefore the clone will boot just fine. Or you have some sort of intermittent hardware issue with the drive that uh, has nothing to do with the data itself, right? Uh, the only way to know for sure, or one way to know for sure, I suppose there are others, uh, would be to take the clone data and immediately clone it back to the failing internal drive, right? And, and if cloning all that data back fixes it, then that might indicate that, it's a uh, that it's a software issue. Um, I, you know, you've, you've been able to fix it, though, by reformatting, I assume, and doing almost exactly that. And it has gone away. So maybe it is something with software. Uh, it's it's hard to say without, you know, without seeing the, the verbose mode and all of that. But that would um, that would be one thing to try is is bouncing that back. That said, if you're getting a new Mac, my feeling is it's never a bad idea to do a clean install. It will take you a lot less time than you think. And then you're not winding up with a situation now or four years from now where you've got some printer driver that, you know, was from the power PC days that you're just dragging along with you. And then you find, I mean, John, you've run into this, right? Where you, you know, you're like, oh yeah, I dug into whatever I've run into it actually on the very computer I'm in front of because I was so hesitant to mess with the podcast setup that I just constantly updated it. But the podcast setup started in the power PC days. So, you know, I had old drivers out here that were power PC things and, and I would clean them out, but you got to find them to clean them out. I've been so much, well, Along those lines, I've been happier since I uh, I did a clean install on this. I I made the mistake of moving to Mavericks and and now Yosemite. Um, there's all those core audio kind of restrictions that Apple put in place, starting with Mavericks, that that have made my life uh, difficult. But that's okay. We've we've I think we're past that. We're on the FireWire setup, the original FireWire setup. That's like nine years old, and I think that's more reliable than. Uh, 
than the USB setup simply because Tascam hasn't updated their drivers properly for Mavericks and Yosemite and uh, all that stuff. But anyway, uh, clean install. It's worth it to, to keep yourself from, from dragging cruft along. And, you know, with your documents and everything, it's so easy to sync that stuff now that it really, really is not a big deal. And I know we talked about this in the last show, so I'll, I'll wrap there. But that's my feelings on this one. You know what I'm saying, John? I think I do. Now you may be asking yourself, why did I want to boot into recovery? <laughs> I'm get. Uh, I'm, I'm going to suggest something here. Is yeah, that, go. Um, a swell tool to try to detect these sort of problems uh, because they just came up and told me there was a problem is our pal uh, Drive Pulse, which is part of Drive Genius. And actually, the reason I wanted to go into recovery is because it came up and said, um, dude, there's a problem with your uh, your SSD. Not a hardware problem, but a, uh, 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 as it turns out, was a improper free block count. And uh, this utility can't fix that. Um, right. You have to boot into recovery and run this utility from recovery and fix it. So that's why I needed to get into recovery. So something like this, uh, so drive pulse is, is swell because it runs these, you know, occasional tests, the tests for various types of damage here. And it, it was the tool that actually gave me a heads up that there was something uh, screwy with my SSD and I should fix it before it got worse. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Doing, doing that kind of maintenance. Absolutely a good idea. Hey, um, I want to, I want to jump to our geeky topics, Sean, if that's okay. Are you, are you good with that? Which one? The, I guess <laughs> Uh, I guess that's a fair question. Um, now, you know what? Let's, let's talk through, uh, let's talk. We, we can do this. We'll talk through Michael, uh, the Wi-Fi stuff, and then we'll do the geeky topics and then we'll wrap uh, the geeky topics being that uh, we're going to talk about running two networks, uh, two, two examples of running two networks simultaneously on your Mac and why you might want to do that or why you might not. But uh, so we'll do this Wi-Fi stuff. And then and then at the end of the show, we've got just a few kind of cool stuff found gift idea things that we're going to that we're going to throw out for you, too. So, John, take us to take us to Michael and his Wi-Fi stuff. We'll see where that goes and we'll, we'll take it from there. Yeah. So Michael says he was listening to episode 530. We were discussing Wi-Fi problems. Uh, and he says he thinks he has the same issue. All of his computers have been dropping off the net, but not only have the Macs been dropping off, but my other devices have too. For example, my DirecTV box regularly drops off. My solution to date is to go back to my old router, the flat, not the tower-looking airport extreme. The network is much more reliable. In your show, you said Apple was working on iOS to solve the problem, but do you know if they are working on the router as well? So, let me clarify... So uh, I have, similar to him, yes, I, I have the Airport Extreme 802.11n, fourth generation. How do I know this, you ask? Well, uh, when you run Airport Utility and you click on your base station, you'll then see a little edit button. Now, you can click on that and edit various settings, but you can also hold down Option and click on that, and you will get a bonus tab which is called summary. And it tells you which airport extreme, airport extreme, airport extreme, airport extreme. Uh -oh. you. We had a, we had a little what? sky pickup. You're all, you're good now. Just, just repeated you a couple times just to make sure it, you, everybody heard you. You're good. Yep. Yep. So uh, you get a summary tab and that tells you what's, what's happening. Um, but I don't, I'm not aware of, of a problem where everything drops off. Uh, with this particular model here. And that wasn't the problem. I, I was having a very specific problem and continue to still have a very specific problem. Uh, 
which is, uh, you know, only occurs on my Yosemite machine. So I don't think that's the problem that he's running into. Uh, you may want to make sure you have the latest firmware. And uh, the way you can do that is also through airport utility is that when you go to preferences, it will say check for updates when opening airport utility. And you may possibly be running an older firmware. That That's about the only only thing I can offer. Other than that, I, I'm i not aware. Of, uh, I don't know if you are, Dave, but I'm not aware of an issue where, you know, the, the airport just kicks people off uh, randomly. That That is not the problem I'm running into again, mine is very specific in that only Yosemite, uh, right. my airport is freaking out. It, so. and you know, more, far more about this issue and the specifics of it than I. So I want to, I want to ask, is this, is your issue, the Yosemite MacBook, um, you know, airport dropping off issue. Is that, does it only happen on Apple routers or does it happen with any routers? Uh, I don't have enough information. Okay. All right. Cause that, that, I, mean, I was at my, I was at my sister's and they have a net gear and I was running my machine, but it's, it, it happens. Yeah. You know, I'll have it when it, it happens. It'll, it'll drop, you know, like 10 times within the course of five minutes. And then sometimes it'll run for hours. Okay. I, I, I don't have enough data to, to tell to be able to determine that. I mean, I was at, you know, again, I was on my sister's place and was online for, you know, a couple hours uh, or had it connected to their Wi-Fi for a couple of hours and, uh, and everything was fine. So, uh, but you could get a couple hours out of yours at home potentially. Right. right. Okay. So I, uh, again, yeah. I, I don't have enough data. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm just curious. Um, um, yeah. I mean, it, you know, Apple does some things to, to keep their hardware and uh, you know, all their hardware in sync. And it's possible that that, actually is causing this problem i, I don't know it could right. be i mean the, uh, again the, the the message i get is beacon loss event now unfortunately apple because they want to keep you from fixing things <laughs> but apple does not i i know i i believe other routers will let you set the frequency of the uh, uh beacon signal which i guess any wi-fi access point sends out occasionally to tell everybody who's connected yeah hi i'm still here and uh if I could figure out how to set that, I'm wondering if that would solve the problem. Right, right, right. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Uh, you, you want to do Bob quickly here, John? Well, I think Bob's is pretty quick. Okay, here. go. Uh, he, well, he just offered us a tip here. He said, yeah. uh, so we've talked about, uh, so speaking of problems with your wireless network, Hey, wouldn't it be great if there was a utility that would let you, try to diagnose your wireless issues, which uh, sounds like something uh, <laughs> uh, that may come in handy for the, for the prior question. You may want to run the wireless diagnostics. Well, how do you get to it? Uh, and you know, it depends. So uh, he sent me a screenshot and I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. So if you click on the uh, Wi-Fi menu uh, or the airport menu. I'm, I'm not sure what the proper name is. I call it the airport menu. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think it's probably the Wi-Fi right. menu. Yeah, it's the Wi-Fi menu because it doesn't have to be an airport. <laughs> well, it's always airport so, um, in your Mac. Correct. So, uh, right, so. so what he said is uh, if you option click on the Wi-Fi menu, you will see an option uh, in the list called open wireless diagnostics. Though it's funny because I'm like, well, that's not what I see. And then I figured out why. So, so it shows it rather far down on the menu. 
why is this? Why is it different from what I'm running? Oh, because I'm running Yosemite and he's not. I think he's running Mavericks. Uh-huh. And then on Mavericks, it shows open, open wireless diagnostics uh, like 20 lines down. On Yosemite, it's a little different um, in that you'll see uh, interface name, MAC address, open wireless diagnostics, and enable Wi-Fi logging. Um, I think what I suggested is uh, no matter what machine you're on, if you use Spotlight and start typing in Wi-Fi, you should get a hit, assuming that you uh, have Spotlight enabled for applications, you should get a hit on wireless diagnostics. So that's another way. So that's why I like using that to launch it. Yeah, nice. Sweet. All right. Uh, I want to talk about our third sponsor here, John. As I mentioned in the beginning of the show, that is Drobo. At, uh, well, there's, there's a number of places you can go. The place that will get it all for you and uh, reiterate everything I'm about to tell you here is Drobo.com slash MacGeekGab. Now, uh, Drobo, for those of you that don't know, makes expandable, safe, simple storage arrays. And by arrays, we mean a box that you can put multiple disks in. And Drobo, these are the folks that pioneered the concept of using disks of any size. So you don't need to have disks. You can have disks of all the same size in your array, but you don't need to. And that's really a handy thing for, uh, you know, what I like to call us prosumers, us geeks, you know, because we wind up with extra drives and you don't want to have to, if you want to expand the space inside your array, Drobo makes it super simple. You just add a drive. It doesn't matter what size it is. It just grows. You don't even have to do anything in the software. You just plug it in and it goes really, really well done. And like I said, these are the folks that pioneered this concept uh, for us as, as consumers and it, it works great. And so you can use your, your Drobo uh, storing stuff. That's too big to fit on your Mac. You know, I have, uh, I have offloaded all of my, my iTunes and, and movies and stuff to, to, to this kind of stuff because I, I don't need that stuff on my Mac. Right. Um, you can use it as a backup destination, and I absolutely do. I have uh, set up my Drobo so that it uh, I've got a 5N here uh, that I'm using for backups. Uh, and so I can point all of my computers at it, and Time Machine sees it. And you can limit the amount of space each computer has, which is necessary with Time Machine. And Drobo makes that really simple, so you point it out there. Um, and then you can connect uh, a Drobo to a, a, a Mac or Mac mini or any Mac really to create a, a file server and it. It can be the storage for that. Right. And, and that's something like where the gen three Drobo would be fantastic. Uh, and the gen three Drobo is really quite something. Um, uh, it, it's, it seems a lot like uh, on the surface uh, on the front anyway, seems a lot like kind of the original Drobo. Well, it's not, it's way faster. It's got a, I think it's like five times faster uh, than its predecessors. It's got a new, new dual core uh, processor in there and a USB three interface. So now you can really get at the data. And if you take your drives from an old Drobo and put them in this gen three Drobo, you will actually get better performance at, right out of the gate from this thing. Even with all your data, you, your data moves with it. Um, it's great stuff. Uh, it, you know, you're getting over 200 megabytes a second on USB three with this thing, which is fantastic. Um, I've got, I've got one of those here too. And it, 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 the gen three Drobo really blew me away. I, I'm really impressed with it. Uh, you can, it, it will protect against one or two drives failing. You get to decide how much, uh, uh how many of your drives you want to dedicate to, uh, to failure uh, pr- protection. Um, 
and it, it, it's at least one. You can add a second if you if you like to do that. As I said, it's optimized for Time Machine, and uh, it's got a, a small internal battery, which you know those of us that have some power failures here and there uh, are appreciative of, um, and a small little cache. Uh, it's inside a, a, like an SSD or a flash memory cache uh, to store it, data. The problem is if a hard drive is turned off or especially an array is turned off uh, without being unmounted and shut down properly, there might be data kind of in the flow of being written across all these disks because that's what it does, right? It's saving data to all of the disks sort of simultaneously so that if one of the disks fails, uh, you get, uh, you still have all your data. And it also, by having all the data kind of spread around the disk, it, it offers some massive speed uh, improvements because you can read data from multiple places at once and you're not limited by the speed of any one drive. But it's got a little battery in there to make sure everything finishes saving uh, before the whole thing powers down. The Gen 3 Drobo, its list price is $349, but as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, you can get 90 bucks off if you order from drobostore.com before December 29th ends. So before December 30th, it, it's valid through midnight uh, Pacific time. I'm assuming uh, uh, November, uh, D- December 29th, the coupon code is holiday geek. Again, that's coupon code holiday geek gets you 90 bucks off either a gen three Drobo, a Drobo five D or a Drobo five N. So, uh, so 90 bucks off means that you're getting a gen three Drobo for two fifty nine. That's pretty, that's a huge deal. And if you're feeling lucky, I know I mentioned drobo.com slash Mac geek that will show you the, the deal for holiday geek and the 90 bucks off. So you, you can just go to drobo.com slash Mac geek And while you're there, you can register in a sweepstakes to win a gen three Drobo. Now the gen three Drobo, you got a couple extra days. You can, you can enter through the end of the year. So through the end of the 31st and uh, they'll draw the first week of January and, and notify you if you want via email. So thanks to Drobo for sponsoring. Check them out. Drobo.com slash Mac Geek Gab. That gets you everything. Your 90 bucks off, your your uh, your uh, your sweepstakes entry, all of that stuff. So check it out. Drobo.com slash Mac Geek Gab. Save yourself 90 bucks and maybe win a free one too. So check it out. Drobo.com slash Mac Geek Gab. All right, John. We promised that we'd get geeky. We're gonna get geeky here. Um we'll start, we'll start with actually kind of a follow-up to one of the recent shows. John wrote not you, John, but, you know, listener John wrote, uh, I have my house wired for Ethernet and have always had Wi-Fi turned off on my Ethernet connected devices. In recent versions of OS X, it tells you you need to turn Wi-Fi on if you want to use location services. I've noticed that my Mac is now getting two different IP addresses and there are some weird things happening like long delays trying to get web pages to appear yet the internet connection is capable of HD streaming on Netflix with the Apple TV, i.e. I know my connection is fast enough. I recall you discussing this before and mentioning having Wi-Fi turned on, but not connected. That sounds good. But with iCloud, um, I don't know how you do this because as you've mentioned, Wi-Fi settings are synchronized between devices. So if I delete my home network from my iMac, will it then delete it from my iPhone? What's the best solution? You're absolutely right. It, it will delete it from your iPhone. And then when you add it back on your iPhone, eventually it will sync back to your Mac and your Mac will jump back on the network. So it makes things a little difficult. Uh, you could log out of iCloud on your Mac, but you don't actually want to do that. What I have found to be the best solution, we have a couple of machines here that we do have on both Wi-Fi and Ethernet. And I've found that setting the service order 
and the network preference pane, i.e. setting the order, the priority order of which connection I want the Mac to use. Just because it's connected, if it's got two connections to the same router, as you said, it will have two IP addresses, which is good. Uh, although you can muck about and force them both to have the same, and that gets interesting. Um, but I don't necessarily recommend it. Uh, it certainly goes against every network rule you'll ever read. Um, but it can work. But for this purpose, they get just let them get their own IPs. Each interface get their own IPs. But tell your Mac, use one ahead of the other. And you do that by going into System Preferences, Network, and then at the, little, at the bottom, you've got a plus to add things, a minus to remove things, and then the action or gear icon. Click on that, and right in the middle there should be set service order. In here, you get to drag the interface names around. I highly recommend putting Ethernet at the top and then Wi-Fi right below it. This way, uh, and then you hit OK, and then you hit Apply. This will tell your Mac, yeah, I know you've got multiple interfaces, but... If this one is active, send all traffic out that one. Make that the default route. And that should solve this problem. Unless you're having, you know, if, if your Ethernet is going in and out intermittently, then it will. It'll, if, if you unplug the Ethernet cable, your Mac will see that, and then it will make the Wi-Fi connection the default route and, and go that route, but, um, so to speak. But it, it, it make the Ethernet the default one. I, I found on my wife's computer, which I, I know I had done this on, uh, over the summer or maybe even before that. And the other day I looked on it for a different reason and found that her Wi-Fi connection had been prioritized over ethernet. I have no idea how that happened, but, uh, so check that you, even if you said it in the past, check it. Uh, it's possible that Yosemite upgrade mucked with it. I don't know. Uh, these things can get reset. So Hector, Hector. it was Hector's fault. Of course it was Hector's fault. That's right. Yeah. No, that's, that's totally it. So yeah, and, and then it should work fine. There's nothing wrong with having two network connections going simultaneously, especially in this instance. Uh, just make sure you know which one you've prioritized. You may decide if you've got like super slow Ethernet and uh, faster Wi-Fi, then maybe you want your Wi-Fi to be the priority. And that's fine, too. Nothing wrong with that. But just be aware and be intentional about how to do it. And, and this is where you, you uh, indicate that intention. That's hmm. it, Right. I never really, I, I have my machines on a single interface. So, so in theory, if you, if you have multiple interfaces, then the one that has the highest priority will connect. And then if it, it's screwed up somehow, it should fall back to the next one. Is if that, is that, how, if that one works? is turned off, it will fall back to the next one. Right. The, the oh. Mac, the Mac doesn't have like, uh, I've tried to get on the internet with this one and it failed. So I'm going to try this other one. No, um, it, it will use the one that you have set the, the, the highest priority active connection is the one that will get the default route. And that's where all traffic will be sent. If it, if it's going outside of the network. Right. What, what I'm asking is if I have two interfaces enabled, right. But one is always going to have higher priority over the other. I understand that, but if it fails, it should so I, go to we, the next one. Now I need to to turn this around and and have you define fail. If if the connection becomes unplugged and the system sees the connection is inactive, yes, it will drop to the okay, next one. Like if someone uh, cuts your Ethernet cable, for example, yeah. it never happens. <laughs> yes, exactly. So right. in theory, that's in right. theory, if you had your machine, your your machine at that point in time, if you had Ethernet and Wi-Fi enabled, and then 
uh, I guess you didn't because it sounds like, not. yeah, all of a sudden nothing worked. So you did, but if you did have Wi-Fi enabled, um, it, it would have fa- fallen over to Wi-Fi and you would have not known that there was an issue. Perhaps I'm going to say yes with an asterisk. And, and the reason I have an asterisk there is it would have, however, the closest router, the closest access point to it, I believe is the, the access point in my office. So chances are it would have been connected to the access point in the office, which is also oh. fed by the same ethernet connection. So right. what I, what I did was I logged into that router um, using ethernet because again, the ethernet in my office worked. I just lacked a connection to the house, which meant I lacked my connection to the outside world. Um, so I logged into that router and I was going to turn off uh, Wi-Fi, And then I thought that's a bad idea. Cause what if I need to get at this thing? So I changed the SSID of the Wi-Fi network to one that I've never used and therefore one that my Macs and iOS devices wouldn't connect to. And then immediately my Mac connected to the Wi-Fi in the house, uh, kind of across the driveway. Thankfully we've got one. This is not thankful. This is intentional. I've got one up high on that side of the house to kind of feed the driveway. And, uh, and I had, you know, full strength Wi-Fi, And so I was able to, to limp along, uh, quite well, in fact, while I sorted out, you know, how angry I was at the uh, the dude cutting up things, but and leaving a huge mess in the yard too, by the way. But uh, but yes, if 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 I didn't right, if my setup was slightly less complex, then it would have just fallen over, and the Skype connection may have even reconnected, and we would might we might have been fine. And I may have had no idea. In fact, I consider myself lucky that somehow, like I said, it's weird. He only cut two cables, but of the two data cables, I'm, I'm glad he cut the one that I was using for internet and not the one I was using for phone because I may never have known that he cut it. Um, cause we just don't, you know, I mean, it, I would have eventually figured it out, but it would have taken days. And I don't know that I would have related the fact that our phone wasn't working to, you know, him grinding up those stuff. You know, it, it might, it might've been too long. So it was good that he cut the internet. Yeah. Yeah, so like Lisa's computer at her desk, she plugs in Ethernet when she's there, but if she takes her computer away from her desk, she just unplugs Ethernet and walks away, and it falls back to Wi-Fi. Hmm. Yeah, it's super handy. Now, Andy has an interesting question, because Mm -hmm. Andy wants to do something a little bit different. He says, I have a Mac Mini and an iMac sitting in the study connected by Ethernet via a gigabit Ethernet switch. The switch is connected to a Buffalo router elsewhere in the house over power line adapters. And that router connects to my cable modem internet. I'm seeing the power line adapter maxing out at around 80 megabytes a second, which I know is on the low side, 80 megabits a second. Sorry. Uh, which I know is on the low side, but I suspect is due to some dirty power somewhere in my house. And that certainly can happen. I get about 200 megabits uh, out of my power line, sometimes 230, 240, uh, but 80 it's possible. It's unfortunate, but it's possible. It says this hasn't been an issue until recently uh, when my ISP offered for free, I, I think, to upgrade my internet connection to 100 megabits per second. That is of no use to me unless I can make use of it. And as it turns out, I could by using wireless to connect to the router. It's a Buffalo AC router, which uses beam forming, and I've seen it max out at over 150 megabits. But I still want to use gigabit Ethernet between the iMac and the Mac mini. So my question is, is there any way to send all my WAN traffic over my airport adapter and all my LAN traffic over my ethernet adapter? So this made me scratch my head a little bit, John. Um, you'd have to do it by IP address. 
And you'd need to create a separate IP range for your internal network than for your external internet connection. I think I'm going to get this right, but now I'm trying to go through logic I did about a week and a half ago with a head cold today. So we'll see how this goes. Um, but I did have the same head cold in a different capacity a week and a half ago. So maybe this will work. So if you state your router to, you know, uh, we're going to assume the beginning of the prefix is 192.168, right? So if you set it to one at the end, so 192.168.1.1, and you set your IMAX airport address to 192.168.1.2 and the Mac mini's airport address to .1.3 with the router on all of those being .1.1 and a subnet of 255.255.255.0, then it will use airport to go out over the internet. Um, those two will see each other that way though. So you got to bear this in mind. If you then set your ethernet address to a different non-routable IP range, like 192.168.2, .1 and the iMac to 192.168.2.2 um, or sorry, sorry, if you set the iMac to one of those to .2.1 and the Mac Mini to .2.2 with a subnet again of 255.255.255.0 and no router address um, then this would work if you put the uh, Ethernet connection as the priority. Now here's why this is going to work. If you have no router set, I think this is why this is going to work. If you have no router set, um, the router, it, the, the router address. Now, all of this is normally assigned by uh, DHCP when you when you turn on uh, your network and it gets all of this stuff from the router. You're going to do this manually, especially on the Ethernet side. In fact, the Wi-Fi side, you could probably just leave DHCP. You don't even need to manually set those. <coughs> just set your Ethernet to something other than that range. So if your Wi-Fi is you know, 10.0.0. Whatever. Just make sure your Ethernet's something else and make sure your subnet is that 255.255.255.0. Um, you don't want uh, anything less restrictive than that. Otherwise, things might get confused. And then you set your Ethernet to be the most important one, but without a router address, it will not try to go out on the internet. The, when, when, uh, when your computer's trying to decide what to do, it first looks to see if the computer that it's trying to connect to is local. And if it is, then it, it's good to go. If it's not local, then it says, okay, who is my router to the outside world? And that's what that router address is. And then what it does is it says to the router, hey, go fetch me this information. Pass me off to the next one down the chain. And then that's how the internet works. But without a router address, it's not even going to try to do that. So I think in this case, John, it would fall back to number two on that service order list, which would be Wi-Fi, which does have an internet connection. And I think that would work. You'd have to test it and you'd have to be very specific about connecting your two computers together with IP address as opposed to just letting them see each other in the finder, say, with Bonjour or anything like that. Right. right, right it right. might work. It be, again, I'm not entirely sure how how Bonjour or Zero Comfort or any of that stuff is going to deal with this particular scenario. It, in theory, it should work with your um with whatever the service priority is but uh, you know we're doing something that's way outside of the realm of what um what i would what i would expect apple to test for now whether they do test for it or not is is another story but um if you intentionally say you know if you go into um finder the go menu and connect to server and instead of typing in you know afp or smb colon slash slash uh, mac mini 
if instead of typing Mac mini, you type AFP colon slash slash 192.168.2.2 or whatever the specific Ethernet address of that Mac mini is, I think it'll work. I, I think that would work just fine. It's worth testing. Yeah. I suppose you could verify by running something like uh, Wireshark. See what happens. That's true. At a low level. Yeah. Of course, Wireshark, you need to install X11 now. I think it's X Quartz or whatever. Um, it's actually a nicer option is something. Uh, actually, someone asked me this recently. But uh, there, there's one, I think it's called Packet Peeper, which is a, a Mac native uh, sniffer, packet sniffer. So you could watch and, and see where things are going and see if, if that setup works for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's this is interesting. I um I think it'll work. Now I want to try it. I don't have any re Well, no. I'm trying to think. Did I go through this the other day when I had Ethernet connected to my office and no. Um, yeah. So, uh, w when I had my cable cut and then renamed the wireless router locally so that it wouldn't connect to that. And, and then it connected to the house. I stopped being a, I had to, uh, I'm trying to think because you know, my disc station is in the office and I think as soon as I made my wireless connection, the priority, cause I did bump the service order up intentionally because I knew I was connected to both. I stopped being able to see things on the local network in my office, right? Like I couldn't ping my disk station once I was connected to the wireless router in the house, even though I was also connected to the ethernet in the office and, and still had an IP from when I had gotten it before. Um, because, because it, you know, it was using that connection, but if you use different subnets, that should work. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun stuff. You know, the Mac is, um, it's based, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's got, BSD Unix at the core. So uh, it's got the ability to do all kinds of stuff. I, there is, you could certainly do all this from the terminal, but I really think the UI there provides enough features to do that uh, without really having to learn how to do like default route ads from the terminal and all that, which get, yeah, that's good stuff. It, it is, I but remember. yeah, yeah. I think I think the the UI will overwrite that stuff anyway as you're plugging and unplugging uh, network cables or turning on and off network devices. <laughs> I don't know, man. Hey, let's I remember do oh, using back. Uh, <clears throat> I remember using a, a default route at one point. It was mm -hmm. actually a uh, a workplace battle that I had uh, many years ago. Uh, basically, uh, so someone uh, had a. a taken over the internet connection that I was managing in our lab and uh, didn't bother to ask me or tell me they kind of, you know, did an end run around me. So, um, yeah. So I was like, you know, that, that's kind of rude. So uh, let's, uh, let's create a route that takes that traffic and uh, dumps it to uh, 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 the bit bucket. <laughs> right. So basically I set up a route that took that traffic and sent it nowhere. And then all of a sudden they were like, um, the, the, you know, like a, an alert went off on like one of their monitoring stations saying, oh my gosh, the network's down. I'm like, well, no, it's not. Uh, by, by the way, which network is this? They're like, oh, um, yours? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the one I'm paying for and you didn't ask to use. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the network's right. down. I like that. Yeah. yeah. And now we yeah, want free all support. Their traffic to, uh, yeah, I routed all their traffic, I think, to uh, 127.001. <laughs> that's a good default route. 
Uh, it keeps yeah. things from uh, from using up too much bandwidth. <laughs> yeah, that's good, man. I like it. I like it. Hey, all right. So let's do a couple of uh, a couple of a couple of uh, holiday things. I I actually I, I think I, I you and I posted about this together on Facebook. Um, had had a package delivered by the U.S. Postal Service yesterday, which was Sunday, uh, which is sort of interesting. And in fact, had I not been tracking it, I would not have known to check the mailbox. But the package, uh, and I guess they're doing that this holiday season is what it, what it seems like. Uh, the package contained, you know, I'm a big fan of scre- glass screen protectors, right? And I had not gotten one yet for my uh, iPhone 6 Plus. First, when it came out, there were no uh, tempered glass screen protectors available for the 6 Plus. And then uh, when there were, I had a couple of people saying, oh, yeah, we'll send you one. And so I thought, well, I don't need to order one. One will show up. And on Friday or Thursday, maybe I decided, no, nah, you know what? I want to I, I want to get one of these on here. I, thought, I wonder if these things have also hit the uh, some, you know, company is making them super cheap and selling them on Amazon realm. And instead of paying 30 bucks from most vendors or 15 from monoprice, neither monoprice didn't have one. When I looked, uh, I might be able to find somebody cheap. I did um, for four bucks, three ninety nine prime shipping. So I ordered this thing on Thursday night and it, it showed up on Sunday, which I thought was pretty awesome. And, uh, and it works great. It's, you know, it's, uh, the brand name is Autolyzer. I, you know, it doesn't matter which one you buy. If, if you're buying something, I found one for 99 cents that I could have done as an add on to another order. So I'll probably add another one of those when, uh, when I'm, when I'm buying next, but, uh, but I put this thing on yesterday as soon as it arrived and actually I let it warm up a little bit first and then I put it on and, uh, it works fine. No problem. Three ninety nine, Good to go. And, uh, we'll see. It might, it might not be as good as, you know, say a clear protector or something, but, um, but it, it serves the purpose in the short term and protects the screen, keeps it from getting scratched and all that good stuff. So I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, John, you got one. I got a couple. Right. I got one that I think I'm going to buy for myself. Nice. I'm going to get myself a present. Ah, that's what I just yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah, well, one of our listeners here. Yeah, I got two. So uh, one of our listeners, uh, James, actually wrote in and uh, gave us a heads up here. And I think this is, uh, I think I'm going to spend a little money on this. So um, uh, it looks like our folks at uh, Max Sales um, have, uh, yep, it's still still for that price. Uh, they have a 960 gigabyte. Yes, 960 gigabytes. Crucial M500 uh, SSD. For not six hundred dollars, which I don't think I'd be willing to pay that, but right now it's only three twenty nine, dude. That's crazy. That's crazy. Because my criteria, as you know, at least on my my uh, MacBook, is I want to have enough space to store lots of stuff. And right now I have a seven fifty gig drive in there, which uh, meets my needs. Yeah, um, a nine sixty would meet it even better, and uh, and that's a good enough price where I think I'm I'm going to drop a few hundred bucks and uh, and upgrade. Nice. That's awesome. All right. Uh, I got a second one. Um, iPhone cases. I love it when companies have great customer service. My, my son, as, as I've mentioned many times, is a hockey player. He's, he's, that's Lucas. He's been on the show before. He, um, he, the, the, my kids have a, an early December birthday, so December becomes this kind of weird you know, gifting thing for them. And uh, they probably wind up getting screwed out of getting great gifts. Uh, from some people because you know that people can buy them. But anyway, 
that that doesn't matter. Uh, for his birthday, he just got um, a, an iPhone case from Original Sticks. Uh, o r i g i n a l s t i x dot com. They make kind of the shell of a case, and then they take hockey sticks, old hockey sticks, apart and uh, and put them in as kind of the outside of the case. But but they're they're uh, they're replaceable, so you can buy all kinds of different inserts for this case. And uh, they've got excellent customer service. He wound up getting they they wound up shipping him the wrong color. I think it was his aunt that uh, that that gave him one of these cases as a gift. They wound up shipping him the wrong color, and and uh, they totally took care of him and and sent him a new one and uh, within the right color. I think he even added a uh, a couple of a couple of extra sticks in there for him too. So very cool company, very quick to respond, and and it's a really cool case. If if you're into hockey. Man, this is the case that you're going to want to check out. So, originalsticks.com or i g i n a l s t i x.com. I'll put it on the, in the show notes too. You got one last one for us, John? I do and it's uh, it's something that I um, I, I, I hadn't really uh, looked to use it until. Well, I was just prompted to, uh, to take it out of its case and try it out here. Um, it's one of these fitness devices, Dave. Um, people, uh, you know, may want to uh, keep track of, uh, you know, because the the equation's pretty simple here. You know, as far as uh, weight and all that, you know, it's calories burned and uh, calories input, and uh, you know, depending on what the values are, you either gain weight or lose weight, right? Pretty well, much a cool yeah. little device. Um, I fit, but sometimes you may want to have a device uh, to to help you keep track of this. Well, um. They hooked me up with this and I just started trying it out and it looks pretty neat here and it's called the iFit Active. And I'll tell you the really geeky part about it here. So it does what a lot of other things do. So it, it, it'll it uh, keep track of your, uh, you know, calories burned either just by existing, you know, just, just by living, you burn calories, right? Sure. <laughs> so it keeps track of that. But then it also, well, how do you figure out, uh, you know, calories input? And that's where the thing is kind of cool. So you can either on the device itself, so it's a small device about the size of a... Uh, I don't know, maybe a half a stick of gum. It's really small and it has a display. Um, so, so in addition to keeping track of your steps and calculating that, you can input calories either on the device itself or here's the cool part, dude. Um, there's an iOS app. What you could do is you can scan the barcode on the food that you're eating. <laughs> nice. And they have a pretty big database. It doesn't work with everything, but for, for a lot of things, um, I just scan the barcode and it's like, oh, okay, you're, you're having, you know, whatever this is. Okay, I know it has this many calories, this much fat, this much sugar, blah, blah, blah. And it keeps track of that stuff for you. Wow. And then it keeps track of the, um, the net. You know, so, so the amount of exercise you get minus the uh, calories. And then it, it tells you your net value, which is really what you're concerned about here. And you right. know, it helps you identify, oh, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't have that, you know, gallon of ice cream every day. And, uh, you know, I can reduce my intake. <laughs> yeah, down to a half gallon a day. Uh, yeah, <laughs> or maybe you I should run ten miles instead of one mile, and then I'll uh, or, or walk however far. Yeah. Um, question from the room here. No, I don't think it works with health. Uh, I, I haven't looked at that yet. It's its own app, so I do not believe it works with the uh, the, the health thing. It also apparently these guys. I think they also make uh, treadmills, so it'll also uh, interface with those and determine how many calories you're you're burning uh, from those. 
Uh, and it also, though I haven't gotten it to work yet, supposedly it also monitors your sleep. There, there are devices that do this as well. I guess they, you know, uh, can determine if you're in deep sleep, you know, basically you're not moving or if you're, you know, jumping around, you're not in deep sleep and all that stuff. So, uh, and, and it communicates through a uh, Bluetooth with, uh, iOS and they also have a website. So I thought it's pretty neat. So the active it's 79 bucks. It has a display. They also have another version, uh, that's, uh, they call a two in one and that's 49 bucks and it does not have a display. So, uh. You know, of course, also tells the time of date and cool stuff like that. But I thought it was a, I thought it was pretty, pretty slick device here. So I'm gonna give it a whirl. Nice, cool. Well, that's what uh, I guess that that follows the the uh, the goal, right? Because it's cool stuff found. Thanks, man. Good stuff. All right. Feedback at MacGeekUp.com is the address. You can send in your questions, your cool stuff found. I think we've got uh, at least one more show between now and when you might have to uh, deliver these gifts to folks. But, of course, cool stuff found knows no date boundaries. We always love that stuff. So uh, so that's it. Yeah. What did I say? Feedback at MacGeekUp.com. Did you? I, You know, I'm pretty sure, Dave, even though we're having Skype pickups here, I'm pretty sure you said feedback at MackieGap.com. I did. Uh, 206-666-GEEK is the phone number to call, and GEEK is... 4335. But that's not all. Go! There's so many ways to get in touch with us. Um, I like the Twitters, because I, I talk about all sorts of stuff on the Twitters. Um, and if you want to see what I'm doing on the Twitters. I am John F. Braun. He is Dave Hamilton. That other guy who's probably flying around somewhere is Pilot Pete. The podcast is Mac Geek Gab and the publication is Mac Observer all on Twitter.com. That's right. And I, 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 I'd like to again send my apologies to Pilot Pete. He texted me earlier this morning asking if uh, I, had a, I had room for him, which of course I do. Uh, but I told him, you don't want to be anywhere near me. If it, you know him, him being a pilot, he doesn't want this head cold with the worst sinus pressure I've ever experienced. So I told him to stay away today. As nice as it would have been to have you here, buddy. Uh, and uh, and uh, Merry Christmas to you, Pete. And also to Michael Johnston. Uh, this show will not be released as an, a chapterized uh, AAC, which you've probably already noticed. Michael is knee-deep in finals right now at... Uh, I think uh, Cal Cal Poly SLO wherever Michael is, I don't know where he is. But that's yeah, the last uh, one wasn't either. What's that? Yeah, right. And that's the why the last one. Either. Yep, for the same reason. That's right. Yep. Sorry so, about that. Yep. At first, I'm like, oh, is this another iTunes bug? No. No. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Finals. Yeah. Actually, I'm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know that yik yak tool. Yeah. I'm near a college, so all the all the uh, it's anonymous messaging thing, yik yak. Uh, all uh, that's what all the kids are talking about these days. Sure. Oh, finals! I'm dying here. <laughs> but uh, but he'll be he'll be picking it up, uh, I believe next next time around. So, uh, of course, Michael is the host of the iOS show and the publisher of GetAppler.com. So check those out while Michael's knee deep in finals. Want to thank the folks at Cashfly, C A C H E F L Y dot com. Uh, for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. And then, of course, the podcast marketplace includes, uh, as, I, as we mentioned in the show, uh, lynda.com slash MGG for 10 days free. Uh, drobo.com slash MacGeekGab for uh, 90 bucks off with a coupon code HOLIDAYGEEK. Amazing, the coupon code MGG gets you 20% off. Barebones software at barebones.com. Great folks there. Smile at smilesoftware.com. Gazelle, the 
sell off all your old stuff. Squarespace is back. Squarespace.com uh, with coupon code MGG for 10% off there too. Thanks so much, folks. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. John, uh, I'm hoping that you are able to avoid this particular strain of the rhinovirus because my advice to everyone when it comes to this is don't get caught. Made up.